All right, hockey fans, listen up because we've got something special cooked up for playoff season. It's called the Daily Faceoff Playoff Parlay Challenge, and it's going to add some serious spice to your playoff experience. Now, here's the deal every playoff game, you're going to be faced with a handful of questions. It's like your own personal playoff puzzle, and it's free to join. And there are prizes because who doesn't love winning stuff? Daily winners, you're getting hooked up with gift cards. Treat yourself to some nation gear or maybe even your favorite jersey. And for the big dogs, the people who can win an entire round, it's straight, cold, hard cash. We're talking about real dough for your hockey knowledge. So lace up those skates, stretch those thumbs, and get ready to show off your hockey IQ in the daily face-off playoff parlay challenge. Sign up today and play every game day at games.dailyfaceoff.com and prove your puck prowess. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Welcome to the DFO Rundown Podcast with Frank Saravalli and Jason Greger on DailyFaceOff.com. Delivered by DoorDash. Welcome to episode 80 of the DFO Rundown, the Hall of Fame edition, of course. Uh, inductees will officially go into the Hall of Fame later this evening. Uh, also the uh, 80th, which means uh, Ilya, Ilya Brizgalov, which means uh, we'll probably talk about a few of his former teams on the show today. I'm Jason Greger, Frank Saravalli, who's live at the Hall of Fame in Toronto. Well, not at the Hall of Fame, but he's in Toronto for the Hall of Fame ceremony. Frank, how you doing? I'm good. What's going on? Oof, lots happening, man. Lots going on. The uh, Hall of Fame weekend, of course. Uh, they had the game and they have a, a whole weekend of festivities. And then, as Jerome McGinley told me on Friday, he wishes the speeches happened the first day because it's the most nerve-wracking. And then he could really celebrate. Uh, so he is he's prepared for his speech uh, today, just like Ken Holland and Kim St. Pierre. We've had a lot of Hall of Famers on the pod. And it's a, it's a pretty illustrious class when you look at it. Yeah, it is. And you know what? It's one that you can really root for. There's a purity to this class that I think, um, you know, makes it, it makes it feel a lot different than the others. And I think if, you know, Kim St. Pierre provided the proper perspective for us, um, you know, she said with all the weight that was going on, you find out in May, 2020, and it's postponed for a year, the actual induction itself. And she said, well, that just gave us more time to celebrate. And I love that because with what we've all been through in the pandemic, it hasn't been easy for anyone. Um, and especially for, for these hall of famers, you know, you know, you're going in, but you know, you, you miss that opportunity to celebrate and it feels like it's sort of dragged on forever. Um, and I'm just glad that they're going to get a somewhat normal experience the whole weekend, the ring ceremony on Friday, you know, getting their blazers on Sunday you know, all those different things that come with that weekend and to be able to do it with family, albeit 
at times in masks and this feels a little bit different. Um, but just to have a chance to have that same weekend experience that all of the hall of famers before then have had, because it really is so special. No, yeah, I, uh, I love the fact that they waited to ensure that they had it in person with everybody around, and and also the new venue tonight, Frank, uh, much bigger than we've had in the past, which will allow for more family and friends in for the speech ceremony. Yeah, I'm looking forward to seeing what it looks and feels like in Meridian Hall. It's certainly going to be a little bit different than than Brookfield Place where they normally have it, and. You know, it's just, I don't care where you put it. You could put this ceremony on Mars and the emotion that goes into it. It's so real. It's raw um, to see the, the tears. Like sometimes, you know, you watch and you see their family get choked up or you see them get choked up. And it's hard to, it's hard to not feel that yourself as you're there. So uh, really looking forward to seeing it all. Well, what's really unique about the hall of fame ceremony to me is it's, it's the one time where the focus is on the individual and, and hockey always likes to focus on the team, right? There's a lot of team success that if you have, if you have team success and individual success combined, it's great. But this one, it's, it's all about them. I know everybody talks about those who helped them and no one got there on their own, but you know, all these people got there into the hall of fame for a lot of work when no one else was around, right? Like, t- especially today's at like, you got to train so hard when there's really no one there and no one's watching. And so it is kind of unique for a, a lot of the, the induction to be about them and that's what makes it very special to me it's it's the greatest honor you can get as an individual in hockey because at the end of the day it's all about your own accolades and all your hard work yeah but it's also not really attainable without the help of others meaning your teammates i mean just look at at kevin lowe if the oilers don't have the team success that that they did in the 80s um there's no chance that we're talking about kevin lowe being a hall of famer uh, in my opinion, if he's, if his name isn't on the Stanley cup six times, you know, we're just not, he's not getting that same recognition. And what I like about it is that particularly with the case of Kevin Lowe, like I think he's a great example in the sense that his teammates seem to be more happy than he was that he ended up getting in, which I think says a lot about the achievement. And then you see everyone rally around them this weekend you know, Ken Holland, for instance, he had his big party on Saturday night, actually in the great hall at the hall of fame and, and all the players that came in that were part of all that team success, Nick Lidstrom flying in from Sweden to be there for the party. And, you know, all, everyone, Steve Eiserman comes in, Brendan Shanahan's there, all these different people that were so integral to experience that team success come back to celebrate the individual as well. And, I don't know. I, I think that's that just adds another layer to what's such a really cool weekend. Oh, for sure. And you look at, well, those players should be pretty happy because if Ken Holland didn't bring them all together, then uh, maybe they don't have all that team success as well as, as a GM, which is uh, very unique. And, you know, Doug Wilson's in as a player, Frank, he easily could go in as a GM because since he's been the GM, no team has won more games in the NHL than the San Jose Sharks. He, he's a pretty unique category. And I think some people probably don't realize just how good of a player Doug Wilson was because there's so much talk about Coffee and Bork from that era and, Craig, you know, Chris Chelios, but man, Doug Wilson was a hell of a player. Yeah. uh, You know, one of the all-time leaders for the Chicago Blackhawks, certainly from a blue line perspective, any defenseman that's getting 825 points, like it's a pretty significant career. And so um, to see him get the recognition that he deserved and 
just a, another guy with a lifetime around the game, 45, whatever, however many years it is, it's got to be close to that between his playing career and now the success that he's had um, as an NHL GM, it, it kind of comes full circle. So he is in as a player and, you know, you made the case for him as a general manager. I think the one thing missing of course is, is the playoff success and, and the Stanley cup success. And, um, you know, we'll see if, if that ultimately comes in San Jose, but it's, uh, it's been a heck of a ride for him. And it's interesting that everyone's path is different. I was, I was mentioning the fact that this is a class that you could root for. I mean, Jerome McGinley, one of the best goal scorers of his generation, he's the first black male skater to go into the hockey hall of fame. Like if you think about that, your mind explodes. Like, how is that possible? It's 2021. Um, and yet that's the case. Um, and you've got Kim St. Pierre we had on the pod that you mentioned, um, you know, she, she got cut from four straight years of girls hockey where she was thinking, you know, maybe there's not a space for me in this game. And she ends up going to be one of the best goaltenders Canada's ever seen of any gender, any level. Um, so it's, it's kind of amazing. You know, I, I, I go back to this Ken Holland story that we actually didn't get a chance to ask him about on the pod, but the fact that he almost became an electro Lux vacuum salesman. I mean, he was that close to going door to door. You know, he played one game in the NHL and I think he tells the story of, you know, I, I get through the first period and I'm, I'm super excited. You know, I'm thinking, okay, maybe I can hang around and play in this league. And, in the second period, he gets shelled for five goals against. And he said, man, you better take a look around because I'm never going to be seeing this again. And, and that's how short his playing career was from an NHL perspective. But yet he goes on to have all the success at all these different positions and stops along the way. Western scout, director of amateur scouting, goaltending coach, assistant GM. Now he's 25 straight years as an NHL GM to do it consecutively is impressive in and of itself to do it and, and get your name on the Stanley cup four different times. I mean, it's, it's pretty incredible what, what everyone in this class has accomplished. And like I said, makes it really easy to root for them. Oh yeah. It's a, it's a big class and uh, we'll get into it and uh, fill in the blanks a little bit later on looking ahead to the 2022 hall of fame class. Cause there will officially be no 2021. This is the uh, 2020 class for anybody uh, listening and watching right now, the DFO rundown uh, let's get to uh, on the ice in the national hockey league, Frank and uh, in Vancouver right now, uh, Canuck fans are losing their minds. Uh, their team just allowed 19 goals on a three game road trip. Of course they lost all three of them. And I see some people saying, well, ownership hasn't done anything for seven years. They're not going to do anything again. I'm not sure. I'm not sure that's accurate to say they haven't done anything. But, you know, the Canucks, I think people came in this year believing that Vancouver would take a step. They would improve. You know, Garland and Oliver ekman Larson, those two, the new additions, have actually been okay for this team. But their overall team defense is really struggling. Elias Pedersen, you can put an APB out for him offensively right now. I don't care what your team is. If your best players aren't your best players. Players, it's really hard to win. What do you make of what's happening? Are you hearing anything on the on the uh, Vancouver front? Are changes brewing in Vancouver? I mean, I think it would be odd if they weren't at least talking about some kind of change, whether that's at the coaching level, whether it's at the GM level, because we went into this season knowing what the bar was for the Canucks and what the expectations were for them to get there, and and 
they've fallen way short and it's not just, you know, in the standings. It's also what you're seeing on the ice. It's not like you're looking at that team and you're saying, well, you know what, there's a glimmer of hope and here's how they can get back in the race. You look at this team and you say, the biggest thing that sticks out to me is that it just seems to be poorly constructed, especially from a defense standpoint. When you look at their back end and especially you look at their right side, they're not really set up for success there. When you have no. someone like a Tucker Pullman, uh, you know, being asked to fill second pair minutes um, and being asked to play in a really significant role, he's a bottom pair guy on a good team. And depending on the night, he's playing 20 minutes. Um, and so, you know, you look at, at, at it as a whole and you mentioned their best players needing to be their best players. I don't, I don't care who you are in terms of a scorer uh, who you are in terms of a goaltender as good as I believe Thatcher Demko is when you don't have that support defensively, you can't win. You can't, you can't get the puck to your forwards cause you can't get out of your own end. So that plus um, you know, just the overall attitude of the team, like it feels like that team is sagging and it's not just um, it's not all, it's not all appearance, but some parts of that, you know, you watch that team for stretches at a time and you go, did they give up? Yeah. Like you, you know, like you look at that game against Colorado and you're like, well, are, are they showing up? Like, when are they getting here? And I think that's what's alarming is that they're a team that lacks identity. They're a team that lacks some structural foundational pieces. And they're a team that lacks any sort of mojo or edge. And you're like, what gives like something has to give at some point, whether it's, some kind of change, as I mentioned, either on the coaching staff with Travis Green, again, just getting his extension, or if it's on the GM front, I don't know what, what the right answer is because it doesn't matter who you end up bringing in. There's going to be a lot to dig out from, and I don't know that it's going to happen this season. Like the one stat that came out yesterday, well, there was two uh, from the Halford and Bruff guys in, in, in Sportsnet Radio. They, they said – one is that the Canucks have the same number of points this year through the first 12 games, I believe it was, that they did last year, or the first 16 games, excuse me. And you're like, wow, that's, that's alarming given how bad last year's team was. And then the other stat was, here's what they need to do in order to get close to a playoff spot, like to get to 95 points. They need to go something like 38 and 21 just to get to 95. I know it's only November, but that's an alarming, alarming number mathematically to get to if you're a Canucks fan. Oh yeah, they're they're 26th in offense, the 27th in goals against Frank. It's a it's a recipe for disaster uh, where they're going uh, right now. And I, I agree with you. I watched the, two of their games recently, and the the lack of engagement from a lot of their players I found alarming like JT Miller that guy's showing up in every game and, and you know he's giving you the best but they got some guys there who just don't seem like Pedersen doesn't look like he has any confidence the only time you really notice him is on the power play but but five on five like he's got the skill to be a dangerous player five on five there's no and so they can change now unless there's some sort of you know real big disconnect between him and the coach like why would a change suddenly alter how he's performing, right? Like I know confidence is a big part of the game for any player, but when I watch him, Frank, like I know every coach will tell you, if, if you're not producing, then, you know, 
take some onus and, and be good defensively and, and find little things that eventually will get your confidence going. But the thing with Pedersen that I watch in the games is, and granted, I, I think I've watched about six Vancouver games this year. He hasn't been a factor in any of them. And I've watched him in the past where like there were shifts where Pedersen would completely dominate and you'd be just waiting for him to score. So I'm wondering if maybe he's banged up because he literally looks like a shadow of himself right now. And I don't know what that's attributed attributed to or attributable to. Like, I mean, you look at it, it's it, what you're seeing from Pedersen in some ways encapsulates what you're wondering about for this Vancouver team is like, this sort of go out and get it approach, this attitude that that they seem to be missing. Like when he first broke into the league, Pedersen was that guy, the driver that would grab the game by the horns and you're just not seeing it from him. And I don't know if it's hesitancy. I don't know if it's, as you mentioned, an injury. I haven't heard anything about an injury. Um, he just, he doesn't seem like the same player that he was. And, you know, on an entry level contract, that conversation might be a little bit different when he's at where he's at on the salary cap table. That, that can't be the case. You can't have, you know, 20% of your season looking like, okay, well, who is this guy? What's going on? What's the deal? Where's the guy that we sign? That's not, that, that doesn't cut it. That doesn't work. No, not at all. So that, that's a team to watch for, for sure. Uh, Chicago made changes. Hey, they're 3-0, and so you never know. Uh, but I'm not surprised because they didn't like their defensive system, and suddenly they're not leaking goals all over the place, and they're a more competitive team. Now, speaking of competitive, uh, we both agreed at the start of the season the most competitive division would be the Metro division. And, and here we are. We're a month into the season, and it's pretty competitive. No teams are below 500 in points percentage. Pittsburgh, I guess, in points percentage is the worst at 5-5-4, five, five, and four, which I guess when you've only won 5 of 14 games, that's a little bit of a, a concern. But, you know, you look at the Islanders right now. Granted, they've played the, the fewest games in the division. They're 5-4-2, and two, uh, and they're in dead last out of the eight teams. Carolina, Washington, and the Rangers have really kind of separated themselves early on. But then you got New Jersey, and you got Philly, and you got Pittsburgh, and the Islanders, Frank. This, like, this division man like Pittsburgh only winning five of 14 like they're kind of in the hunt but it might be a little misleading because the games they played like they got to start winning some games and so do the New York Islanders yeah but here here's the thing to remember about the Islanders in particular they haven't played a home game yet yeah their first home game isn't until Saturday night six days from now that's November 20th like it's an it's insane to think that that team has managed as well as they have. And to think about all the home games that they have coming up in the back half of the schedule in particular, I don't see any reason why that team won't yeah. make up hay. And especially with the home ice advantage that they hope to have in that new arena, which UBS arena opens up on Saturday night, looks very small, very compact. Um, one of those places where the roof is low, it's not a big cavernous building. It should be pretty loud. So I'm excited to see what it looks like on Long Island to finally have that home. It, it almost feels surreal thinking about where that franchise was. I, I mean, I can't tell you how many games I went to um, at the Nassau Coliseum when I covered the Flyers. Like, it was dead. I, I used to call it the Nassau Mausoleum because, like, there was never anyone there. And now you look at it, and they finally got the, the place that they wanted. They've had the team success that they've wanted with back-to-back conference final runs. I'm not betting against the Islanders at any point. Barry yeah, well. Trotz and the way that he has his team prepared, they're going to be fine. Pittsburgh, I think we all thought 
might come back to earth a little bit based on the teams that they beat to start, uh, based on all the success that they had, blowing out teams like the Maple Leafs without a lot of their star players. Crosby missed some time with an injury. Then with COVID, they've had lots of guys in and out due to COVID. And I just figured there would have to be some kind of adjustment where they'd sort of regress back to the mean. But with some of the other teams in the Metro, like I still don't know what to make exactly of the New Jersey Devils. With the Flyers, I think they're trending in the right direction. They've had some key wins. They beat some really good teams all on the road. Uh, one of the few teams that's handed the Oilers a loss, uh, certainly in regulation to this point. You know, Carter Hart, if he's back, and it seems like he is, I'm not 100% ready to declare that he is, but when he has a game like he did on Friday night in Carolina on the road, it's a lot easier to think that he's closer to the Carter Hart we used to see versus the guy that we saw last season. But I think the jury is still out on a few of these other teams. Like I, I think the Rangers, although they've gotten the Gerard Gallant effect, I'm still, I'm not sold on the Rangers yet. I think there's probably a bit of a regression to come for them as well. Carolina and, and Washington, I just think are two really good teams. Okay. Speaking of Washington, how about the great eight now, you know, Leon Dreisaitl and, and McDavid, you know, no one's surprised to see those two at the top of the leaderboard. And, you know, we, maybe we can get to Dreisaitl in a second. He's probably overshadowed. He's had a six start. He's had three points or more in eight of his 14 games this year. But Alex Ovechkin, Frank, at his age, he like you talked about it last week. He might be one of the early candidates for the Hart Trophy and it's, and it's totally valid. So because usually Ovi, like the goals shouldn't really surprise us, but the points, he hasn't been this much of a disher, you know, ever maybe in his career. He's off to a phenomenal start. What do you make of Ovechkin's start? And do you think the the point totals, goals and assists combined is, is uh, sustainable for him? I mean, I, I think the goal production for sure is like he has a track record of it. And, you know, I, I saw him, I think around 45 goals this year or 44 was my prediction. Um, he certainly is, is on pace to do better than that. I'd imagine, you know, he's somewhere in that neighborhood when it's all said and done. Can he get to 50? I think we'd all love to see him do it. It just helps the, the chase for Gretzky and makes it that much easier in, in years to come. I think Alex Ovechkin doesn't get enough respect for being a decent enough passer to be able to accumulate 600 assists which he hit last week. I mean, 600 assists is a ton. I love the video from Backstrom. We played it on the daily Faceoff show the other day. Backstrom going, Hey, congratulating him on getting to 600. And he said, well, welcome to the club. He said, I thought you were a goal scorer. Like it was just the perfect line. And by the way, to do all this, this season without Backstrom in the lineup, um, he's just a special, special player. And when you think, it's like 600 assists is a ton. Like a lot of guys don't even get to 600 points in their career, let alone to get to 600 assists. Like it doesn't happen by accident. And it, to me, it opens up a unique conversation, Frank, because early on, a lot of people are like, well, Crosby's the better player. No question. If, if you look at the, you know, like their career in the last years, like Alice Ovechkin has, is aging a little bit better. 
and, and maybe that's because of his size. Who knows? But you know the 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 point totals everything. I know that you know the goals per game. Obviously, Ovechkin was always a better goal scorer, no question. And Crosby was a better disher. But I just I think that gap is is closing a little bit between the two of them. And and Ovechkin, like he had 18 helpers last year. He had 19 the year before. And now, granted, I know last year was a shortened season, but he's already got 14 this year. Like he he's on pace, his career high. He's never had 60 assists in a season, Frank. And, and right now, that looks like a realistic possibility for him to achieve at his age and to me that's what's the most impressive about a lot of the superstars in today's game is the ability for them to maintain their greatness longer right and I know a lot of that has to do with advancements in nutrition and, and sleep patterns and training and all that stuff for sure and the, and the great ones are, are taking advantage of everything that they can learn in the new science How much to help them be better but it's it's amazing to me to think that uh, Ovechkin's this good at this age the amazing thing is, I don't, like when we talk about Alex Ovechkin and all these advancements, how much has he really bought into that? Like I, I've just viewed Ovi as sort of the same. He doesn't seem to be a fitness freak. He doesn't seem to be someone that really takes nutrition all that seriously. Um, not to say that he, he doesn't take care of himself, but he, he's never been known for that. He's not the he's not the gym rat that you know you might see from a, a guy like Crosby, where he spends a lot time on that stuff he's, he's just a horse and he's been healthy and i think the you know the one of the biggest things and you talk about um an ability dependability and availability are, are two pretty big parts of of the ability part and i think when you look at ovechkin you see that the other part is the fact that he still is still getting more goals than assists like that that ratio is so insane it's so much easier to get assists in this league than to get goals. And to think that that's been his consistent, you know, for his career, for the most part, that he's ending up with more goals than assists is bananas. And uh, in the Atlantic, uh, Florida stays on top, but the the Maple Leafs, after a slow start, uh, uh, are on fire lately. They're eight and two in their last ten, and, and they've closed the gap. Detroit still hanging around a little bit, uh, although they've got three games in hand on Tampa and Boston. And then you know Buffalo's crashed down to earth. Montreal still is what they are. The Senators are ravaged by COVID. The the Atlantic seems like it's. It's really spacing itself out, and it's going to be a question of can De- Detroit stay in the hunt or are those top four teams just going to skate away from everyone? What's going on with the Boston Bruins? What are, what are the Boston Bruins? Like that's, that's another question that I have. And, and where do they end up when it's all said and done? What do they do in the goaltending department? You know, i got to tell you, Mike McKenna at dailyfaceoff.com ranked all the tandems top to bottom, and he was saying right at the very beginning, I don't like what I'm seeing in Boston and Olmark has been okay. He's been fine, but Swayman really hasn't quite been up to par. And so then, you know, you see two grass on the ice again, skating and you're like, we know that he only wants to play for Boston. Does two grass end up signing and how, what's his health like and, and how many games does he end up playing if he does? And I don't know, like Boston to me is one of the real wild cards. I, I said in the very beginning that, I wasn't sure that Boston was a playoff team and this sort of shaky up and down start, um, you know, really kind of opens the door to that question. Yeah. And, and they're eight and five, despite all that. So you're, you're right. They, they seem to have been a little bit inconsistent, but they still find ways to win. And they're they're You know, it's fascinating to watch, to see how uh, some of these teams are going to play out. Let's welcome in uh, Tyler Remchuk for another edition of fill in the blanks.
Yes, fill in the blank is brought to you by our friends over at DoorDash, where if you're using the app for the first time, put in the promo code RUNDOWNDD gets you 25%. RUNDOWNDD gets you 25% off your first delivery and no delivery fees on that. Let's jump into fill in the blank. First one, you guys talked about uh, Travis Green a little bit, maybe a coach on the hot seat. I'm kind of wondering how many other coaches around the league could be on the hot seat soon. My question is, blank more coaches will be fired by the new year, by 2022. Jason, you got an answer? Ooh, that's a good question. Um, outside of Vancouver, I'm, I'm not sure I, I see any that are like the teams that are struggling. You kind of expected it. So um, I will say one. I, I think Vancouver is the only one that I can envision right now making a trade in the next. What is that? Six weeks. I wonder about a couple teams. I wonder about the Dallas Stars, the fact that they were in must win mode. Um, in an, basically an early November game, a mid November game against the flyers on Saturday night. Um, and so I wonder about Rick bonus there. And I, the only other team that I kind of wonder about is the Montreal Canadians and Dominic Ducharme. And I know that they got to the final last year and they figured things out, but man, Dominic Ducharme had a really rough start to his tenure as well there in Montreal. And there seemed to be lots of questions about what that team looked like and, and how they operate. And, you know, similar to the Vancouver conversation, you have the question, is it the roster construction or is it more on the coach? And I wonder, you know, yes, Montreal's had all these injuries and Carrie price being out in the player assistance program. It just seemed like, and I, I'm a big fan of Dominic Ducharme. I've spent a lot of time around him, uh, at, at world juniors and to see him there, uh, I expected him to be a good NHL coach and not to say that he isn't, but I, he's the other guy that I sort of have circled at the moment to watch out for, you know, when we're talking long-term distance and in the new year. All right. Second one we got here. We are now a month into the season. Season's actually a little bit more than a month old. Blank has been the best new addition to their team. Frank. I'm going to go Zach Hyman. I'm going to throw a little Euler love your way. Kind of hard to argue against, Zach Hyman and, and the addition that he's been to the Oilers. He's been sort of everything you could ask for from a production standpoint, from an energy standpoint. And if he continues at this sort of pace, well, he's also actually ends up being a pretty decent value. Doesn't matter what the rest of the contract looks like. You don't think about that at this point. Now you think about the production that you're getting from him right now. I will go with co-winners. Raymond and Sider in Detroit. The two rookies have been phenomenal for that team. They're right up there in points. Sider's playing like, I can't believe he's playing that many minutes. And they're tough minutes with a lot of defensive zone starts. So I'm going to go with two rookies in Detroit because uh, they got those guys treading above water right now. Yeah, that, you know, that's a great way to take it as well. I never even thought about uh, rookies falling under that new addition category. And uh, finally, to wrap things up, Hall of Fame week. Frank's in Toronto. Next year's class. Your question is blank is one player or person who should be in the hall of fame, or maybe is you're excited to see get into the hall of fame one day, Gregor, your answer. Oh, Alex Mogilny for me. I, I don't understand why he's not. Alex Mogilny is, was one of the most electrifying players of his career. He was a phenomenal player. He, you know, he scored some big goals at key times in the postseason as well. You know, and unfortunately he had some, some injuries, but he still played, you know, he's still a thousand point player. I, I'm a big fan of McGillney. Like when you want to just 
talk pure excitement and and high ability that not a lot of players had, that's McGilney. Like he scored seventy six goals one year. Are you kidding me? So uh, I am taking uh, uh, Elmo, as they like to call him. Uh, Alex McGilney is the guy I would put in. I Roberto Luongo for me is a first ballot goaltender, fourth all time in wins, four hundred and eighty nine. Uh, you look at where he ranks on the shutout list, ninth all time. Um, you know, he's won the Jennings. He's been in all, on all-star teams, played in all-star games. Uh, just a fantastically talented goaltender that also played on some really tough teams for a while, helped Vancouver get to the cup final. Of course, uh, multiple Vezina Trophy finalists, never won it. But to me, with his track record, his save percentage, how long, and how, how good he was for how long and how consistent he was. I think Roberto Luongo is all of him. Some international success for Luongo as well will uh, certainly help his case there. Uh, that's going to do it for another edition of Fill in the Blank, brought to you by our friends over at DoorDash. All right. Now, Franco, I want to ask you, you mentioned uh, Montreal. Do you think with their GM in the final year of his deal, would they allow him to make a coaching change? Does that muddy the waters at all? I don't see why they wouldn't. I, I, I've always seen Mark Bergevin and Jeff Molson having a very close relationship, a lot of trust there. Um, and, and the truth is, if you're going to have someone in that job and they're not empowered to make the changes that they see fit, then you might as well change him out as well, because what's the point? I mean, why else are you paying him? That's, you know, it doesn't make any sense um, to have him there and to have him in that role. If he doesn't have the ultimate authority and power, once the team's built aside from dealing with, you know, waivers here or there or, or transactions with injuries, like there's not a lot that a GM needs to do. If you're going to say, well, you can't fire the coach. If you need to, you can't make trades. Um, and not only that, but the other, the other complicating factor of it is that he had made it, an expensive decision already to fire Claude Julian and to bring on Dominic Ducharme. So with what Claude Julian is being paid, you know, right up there in terms of the very top guys in the league, it, that was a, a big bullet to use a big card to play. Um, and so the fact that he did that and then would now want to pivot, I could understand why there would be the question, but if you're not going to allow him to do so, what's the point of having him in the role? Yeah, and then some would always argue, like, how many coaching fires does the GM get where before the people look and say, hey, man, uh, maybe it's on the construction of the roster. Like, no Carey Price, I think that gets the, the coach and everybody in Montreal a little bit of an extension uh, on where they're going to go. And who knows, uh, we saw Carey's uh, Instagram post, uh, you know, just talking about he's not sure where he's at. He wanted to take care of himself, and, and we'll see whenever he comes back, probably not till the new year. Uh, we'll see, you know, maybe he wants to be part of the Olympic team or not. I have no idea. Now, a few quick hitters on the Olympic team. Uh, Frank, Tyler Bertuzzi, we know that Mackenzie Blackwood did get vaccinated because he's in the running. He was one of the six on the list. Um, uh, Bertuzzi, I don't know if he's on, their sh on, the, on the long list or not. I'd heard rumblings he was. He's still, like, right around top 10 in scoring. He's like the fourth highest scoring Canadian right now. Have you heard anything? If, if team Canada came calling, would Bertuzzi be getting vaccinated? Because obviously you, it's not a Canada rule. It's not a U.S. That's the, the, uh, the Olympic rule. You have to be vaccinated to go. Do you think he would get vaccinated? I, 
I, I have no idea. I mean, I no, I don't, I don't believe the question has been asked and I would imagine because he isn't that that probably just removes him from consideration altogether. He's put a stake in the ground to this point. He's been willing to miss his team's games. That was one of the big deciding factors. I think the Olympics were for Mackenzie Blackwood to ultimately go ahead and get it. Oh, by the way, you can't participate. You're on the long list. If Tyler Bertuzzi was on the long list, I would happen to think that, you know, he would have already done it and that would have already been communicated to him. And the fact that he hasn't to this point, I don't know why he would change now. Do you think Matt, how serious is Matt Duchesne? For team, because remember, he was part of it before, and I, I know that they like experience. And, and here's Duchesne, the only Canadians with more points than him today: Connor McDavid, Brad Marchand, Ryan Nugent Hopkins, well, and Ryan Getzlaff. How serious of a candidate is he? Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know. It, he had struggled for so long the last few years that I just, as much as it's a balance between the best players right now and the best players overall. I, I don't know that you would make the argument that Duchesne would be in the category of best overall player. He seems to be a guy off to a hot start that, you know, we still got a long runway. We're going to have our, actually you, you asked about Olympics on dailyfaceoff.com this week, Steve Greeley and Chris Peters are going to put out their new projected rosters this week. You know, another update one month after their last one, I'd be curious to see who the guys trending are whether a guy like Duchesne makes that cut. But my guess is the guys that were on the, the rosters to start, aside from maybe a key injury here or there, it's not like any of those guys have been disastrous to start either. So it's not like they've played themselves necessarily off of it. So it's the question is, is, is someone playing well enough to knock someone off? I don't know. I don't see it quite yet. It's still kind of early for me. One other player who he's not going to knock anyone off just yet, Frank, but he's opening eyes. Having talked to two people on the management side, Jordan Cairo, the St. Louis blues has had a phenomenal start and just the, his playmaking ability, his shiftiness, his creativity. Um, I don't like he, he would have to maintain this right up until the deciding one. And as you mentioned, maybe some, some players with a longer track record would, would have to be noticeably struggling for a few months. But when I look at players who have really climbed up the ladder. Jordan Cairo is the name I've heard from two different people saying that's a guy that they've really got their eye on. And the fact that his own GM, Frank, is the GM of Team Canada. He'll see him a lot. Yeah, and by the way, you mentioned Cairo. Robert Thomas has been excellent as well. That yeah. guy has been a machine for St. Louis. I, I think when you see those guys on a nightly basis, and, and I think the one thing with Olympic roster construction that everyone has to keep in mind it's not just about assembling the best collection of players. It's assembling the best team. And so which of those players that is that might be a star on their team can play in a fourth line role yep. effectively or a checking role effectively for your team and kill penalties. There's so many layers to the construction part of it that, you know, if you're Doug Armstrong, you're sitting there and you're saying, well, I know this guy can do this because I've seen him do it already rather than guessing with maybe a star player that you don't know quite as well. I think that's one area where those guys might have a bit of an advantage. And Frank, uh, another week passes and uh, Leon Dreisaitl extends his league lead in points. He's now four points up on Connor McDavid. He leads the league in goals. He's got 15 in, in 14 games. Uh, he's a guy who's seriously trending to score 60 goals, which hasn't happened since 2012. 
you've been riding this train for a while. You, you've been saying the second best player in the game is Leon Dreisaitl. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's not Nathan McKinnon. It's not Sidney Crosby. It's not any of these other guys. It's, it's Leon Dreisaitl. Oh, hey, man, there's not many of the elite guys who are three on five, take key draws in the penalty kill. Oh, and and like Dave Tippett said, the thing that impresses him the most is Dreisaitl can be this great disher. And then all of a sudden, when, when he plays five on five with McDavid, he's a shooter. And there's not many guys who can just transition from one to the next almost seamlessly. And, and he's really worked like on the power play now. Granted, he's the opposite side. But his one-timer on the right side now, on the power play, he doesn't maybe have the velocity of a, of an Ovechkin, but he's just as dangerous there as far as his accuracy, but he's way lower. He's at that odd angle and it's a weird place, but that's, you know how Gretzky had behind the net. Ovi had the talk. Drysaddle has the weirdest signature one-time spot I've ever seen. It's really low in the corner and he beats goalies from there consistently. Well, they probably not to say that like having watched it a bunch of times that they're not aware of it, but yeah, because he is so far away and because he is so low and the angle is so odd, the teams are probably like, that's a low percentage shot. We'll give you that, that he probably ends up getting more opportunities that way. Yeah, it's it's an impressive one to watch. And he's just, uh, it, it makes it for an interesting, I know you got to go back to 96 with Jagger and Lemieux, but to have two teammates potentially battle for the heart, like that's, that's a twist that you just don't see very often. And now well, Edmonton has some concerns five on five defensively, no question about it, but... When you look at it, um, those two guys would be in the running for sure if this continues all year long. They have some concerns, I think, five-on-five five offensively as well. Um, oh, no, it's Salvador- like top three. Well, Bryce Salvador broke down even not just defensively, but also offensively off the rush, um, you know, and, and went through all the different numbers as to why he still needs to see some more. We'll have to pull up the clip for you and, and took a deep dive on a lot of the analytical numbers, them sort of being average uh, right around league average that he sees even still some room for growth, not just defensively, but offensively at five on five. Yeah. Well, they currently got the third most goals in the league and they've played fewer games than the two teams in front of them. Like they're, they're, they're getting contributions. Ryan McLeod scored again to me, five on well, goal scoring is not an issue. The high scoring team. It's, in the league. it's not, it's not the goal scoring. It's just the overall production numbers that, that go into it, I guess. Yeah. Well, Edmonton's a team that just, they don't, they don't shoot from everywhere. That's the one thing. They don't take a lot of shots. So when people track a lot of their numbers and, and it, that's been a trend for a few years, they don't, they don't waste shots and just put pucks on net. They kind of, sometimes you can argue that they maybe should shoot a little bit more, but uh, they're a team that doesn't waste a lot of shots and especially their top six, their bottom six, obviously is not filled with guys who are going to be like, Oh, we'll wait for the perfect play. You know, they get, they got to just put pucks on net, but their top six, they, they like to kind of, they don't waste shots on the outside, Frank, that are really low percentage shots that really just give the puck away to the other team. If you have a goalie who controls rebounds. I just think the big question for Edmonton is what does it look, what does this team look like when they hit a bit of a, a, a rough patch when your top guys maybe aren't producing at the same level that they have, but what kind of production do you get from the rest of your group? That's sort of, you know, it's been a really nice blend so far. And, and obviously the top guys have carried you to where you need to get to. That's the one part of the Oilers that we haven't seen this season where a, a stretch where for three, four or five games, McDavid and Dreisaitl and Nuge go dry that the rest of the team needs to step up. We, ha- we haven't gotten to that to answer that question yet. Yeah. 
Well, it's tough because I'm not sure the last time McDavid or Drysaddle went dry for four or five games. That's the uh, that's kind of the advantage to me, though. It's can they figure out their five on five defending? That's that's the obvious glaring, glaring weakness of this team, and I'm not sure it's fixed internally, Frank. I think it's one that. You know, there's going to be more of a commitment from some of their guys. But I, I think Ken Holland, who, of course, is getting his uh, uh, Hall of Fame induction tonight, um, he might have to be a Hall of Fame GM at, near the deadline to make some moves that will allow that team to be competitive that year, but not completely get rid of it because they still need a little bit more depth moving forward in the next few years. I, I think it's going to be a good balancing act. And then, of course, what's up with Mike Smith? Because, you know, Miko Koskinen, hey, at the end of the day, like last night, he gave up four goals against St. Louis. He was unbelievable. The save he made on O'Reilly with a minute to go before Yamamoto scored, that saved the game. Like it's if people just look at save percentage of that game, you'd think, oh, wasn't a good game. But he he was tested way too much and he made some huge stops. And I just I'm not sold yet that he's a guy like that. So if Mike Smith can't come back, then they're going to have to go out and get a goaltender. Yeah, well, I think we we were kind of thinking that they might get a goaltender even if Smith was healthy and, and carrying the team that it would be Koskin and the guy that would be subbed out. So we'll see what happens. Frank, have yourself uh, an enjoyable time in Toronto at the uh, Hall of Fame. Uh, we look forward to seeing uh, the nuggets that come out of it with uh, so many of the hockey people there together. And we'll talk to you on Friday. Thanks for listening to the DFO Rundown with Saravali and Gregor. Keep it locked on dailyfaceoff.com and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts from to never miss an episode. Delivered by DoorDash. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. All right, hockey fans, listen up because we've got something special coming your way this playoff season. It's called the Daily Faceoff Playoff Parlay Challenge. And let me tell you, it's going to add some serious spice to your playoff experience. Now, here's the deal. Every playoff game day, you're going to be faced with four questions. It's like your own personal playoff puzzle. And here's a sneak peek into some of those questions we'll be firing your way. First up, you got to pick the winning team. That sounds simple, right? 
but there's more. You gotta decide if the total amount of goals in the game will be over or under a certain amount, and that's where the real strategy starts to kick in. Next up, you're picking who's gonna find the back of the net first, and you're gonna wanna be careful, because that's one that could be cooked early on in the game. And finally, you gotta predict which period is going to be the highest scoring. Will it be a barn burner in the first, a shootout in the second, or a nail biter in the third? That's up to you to decide. Now let's talk about prizes because who doesn't love winning stuff? For the daily winners, you're getting hooked up with gift cards to treat yourself to some fresh nation gear and you might even win a jersey from your favorite team. And for the big dogs, those who can win an entire round, it's straight, cold, hard cash. We're talking real dough for your hockey knowledge. So lace up those skates, stretch those thumbs, and get ready to show off your hockey IQ in the Daily Faceoff Playoff Parlay Challenge. Play now at games.dailyfaceoff.com and prove your puck prowess.